Thank you, Ryan. You can be seated. So wonderful to see all of you this morning. Thankful, so thankful for Ryan and for these guys who lead us in worship. I, I just don't know what you do if you don't come on Sunday morning and get your tank refilled uh, like we get to do here. It's, it's an amazing thing to get to worship the Father here. Uh, and I, I can promise you this where before Ryan leaves, I'm going to tell you this. One Sunday morning, and just prepare you for this, Ryan, so you'll be prepared. But one Sunday morning, we'll spend some time where we'll just worship like that. And uh, we'll, we'll interject some scripture and do some things, but we'll have a, a morning of worship. So remind me, we'll start planning toward that and make that happen because it's an amazing thing. We do that with the college students about once every three months at 24-7 uh, when we worship. It's just an amazing morning, or it's an amazing e evening for them. It'll be an amazing morning for us here at Holly Springs because there's just nothing like singing the truth. And that's why I'm thankful for Ryan and how he leads us with all these talented people up here as we get to sing the truth every Sunday morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans, the 8th chapter. It's a scripture that you're probably very familiar with, and I love to see you reach for your Bible. Thank you, family, for being a family who loves your Bible and who loves to study the Word of God. Um, I hope you know that I invest time every week as we prepare to open God's Word, that I think it's very valuable for us to know His Word and to trust His Word. And as we have been preaching through this series called Dancing with the Scars, I want to close it with something that I think affects all of us, and that's doubt, how we all struggle with doubt. Uh, you doubt that you're saved. You doubt that you're a good father or a good wife or a good mother or a good church member. There's so many things uh, that creep into our minds as we try to serve the Lord. And they're all from Satan. Satan is the father of lies. Scripture tells us that. Uh, he tells us lies so that it will cause us to mistrust and to doubt God. That's his whole purpose in, in his life is to to feed lies to us so that we will uh, doubt God, that we will mistrust God. Uh, and you do not stand in this circle alone. That's one of the reasons I wanted to preach through this series with you is because I wanted you to know that all the things that cause the scars in your life are, are not things that you do on your own. You, there's, there's such a tendency in our lives to think I'm the only one that's struggling in this area, or I'm the only one who's ever faced this difficulty, and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, one of the things that I do in counseling a lot of times when I'm sharing with folks who are struggling is I will either refer to a time when I've been where they've been, or I will re refer to a situation that I know is almost exactly like their situation. And when I do that, it always tends to have uh, raised eyebrows and big eyes because people look at me like, uh, I thought I was the only one who was dealing with that. And nothing could be further from the truth. But Satan wants you to believe that you're on an island by yourself, that you're the only one that's doubting God, that you're the only one that's doubting his love for you, his, his care for you, his concern for you. And, and there's just nothing that's further from the truth. Um, you, you, you don't have to look uh, closer to the disciples to, to, to remember and, and the nickname that was given to Thomas, Doubting Thomas. And when Jesus was resurrected, the first thing he wanted to do and the reason he got the nickname is because he said, well, let me see your scars and let me put my hand in your side. And Jesus said, go for it. You can look. 
And that is such a comfort to me and should be such a comfort to you because you understand that Jesus knows that you will doubt in your life, that you will struggle, that you will have concerns in your life. And Jesus, instead of turning his back on you or turning his back on me and saying, what's the matter with you? He, he comes to you and he says, I get it. I understand that you struggle. I know that it's hard for you. Let me wrap my arms around you in the midst of this struggle. James 1.6, uh, when I was sharing with Laura uh, this week as we were preparing to preach this sermon, she immediately called to mind James 1.6, which basically asks about our faith. And then he says, if you doubt your toss, uh, this is what James says, he, he says, you're, you're tossed about like a wave in the sea that's being blown by the wind. And that's not where we as believers want to be. We don't want to be tossed about. We don't want to be uh, wishy-washy in our faith. And so uh, James points to us and says, how can you uh, get away from that wishy-washiness? How can you walk in faith? Uh, the scripture that so readily comes to mind is, how can we walk in our faith not concerned about what is in sight, uh, not concerned about what's going on around us, but how can we literally walk in faith, not concerned with everything else that's going on in the world around us? It's difficult. There's, there's no doubt about it, especially when you realize that the enemy's job is to feed you lies. Uh, that's what he wants to do. He wants to consistently and constantly feed you lies and tell you that God doesn't care you, that he's not for you, that he's against you, uh, that he wants nothing to do with you because of the way you live your life. And when you think about it, the way you live your life and the way I live my life would be certainly circumstances enough for God to turn his back and walk away from us. But that's not the God that we worship. That's not the Jesus that loves you. That's not the Jesus that went and died on the cross for you, the Jesus that went and died on the cross for you, the Jesus that was crucified for you, the Jesus that rose three days later understands you and knows your shortcomings and knows your failures. You know, one of the, <clears throat> the blessings about being married for a long time, like Laura and I have, is she knows my faults and she loves me in spite of my faults. We take that kind of love and multiply it to infinity, and you have what Jesus is doing for you. He knows everything. He knows all your failures. He knows all your shortcomings, and yet he still loves you. And yet, here you have Satan who's, who's trying to feed you lies. <clears throat> I picture it a lot like, like the stool. You know, a lie has no legs. If you, if you take this stool that I use all the time on Sunday morning, and you cut one of these legs off, the stool is going to fall. And that's, that's what Satan is, is doing to you. He, he's taking your legs and he's cutting them out. And it, it, he tries to support them with other lies. You tell one lie and you're forced to tell another lie to back it up. And that's what Satan's doing to you. If he tells you you're not, um, you're not uh, financially able to be a believer. And I mean, he tells that to some people. He says, well, you don't have enough money, so what good are you in the church? And so he, he tells you that lie, and all of a sudden one leg is cut off from the stool, and all of a sudden you, you become to the understanding, and you come to some kind of conclusion that, you know, really you don't have to have money to be a believer. 
Uh, and so all of a sudden when Satan realizes that you've bought in and you don't believe that lie anymore, well, then he'll tell you, well, you're not good enough to be in that church. You know, Holly Springs is full of really good people and you're not good enough. So he'll cut off another leg. And he just does that to you constantly. If you get convinced that the Lord has done something for you, Satan will tell you a lie that says he hasn't done it for you. And he's just constantly trying to take the legs out from underneath you. But I'm here to tell you that that's not the Jesus you serve. The Jesus you serve loves you. And, and there's nothing that you can do to earn that love. It was given to you by his unmerited grace and favor in your life. And he cares for you so much. Let me share with you three things, three questions that I think Satan uses to make us doubt that we have a caring and loving Father. Before we do that, let's look at Romans 8 because this is where I'm going to base all of this out of. Again, uh, I think a passage that you're probably very familiar with, Paul is writing here and, and he says some incredible things to you and me. Listen to what he says, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, this is an incredible passage that one day we will delve into here. This is the, the basis of Calvinism here. And some of you may be Calvinists and some of you may be Arminianism. And that's okay. Uh, I, I get all that. I know all the theological terms. We're not going there today. So you just blow right by that with me, all right? One day we'll tackle this and we'll see where you stand. You'll find out where your pastor stands. Your pastor stands on salvation and God loves him. And that's what you need to know right now, all right? Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to heaven. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I'm going to. <laughs> I hope you're going with me. That's what I want. Listen to this. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? I love this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Man, if, if you want to land on a verse, this is the verse you need to plant your life in. Because all the time, for all of our lives, for all of our days, it seems like everybody's trying to tell us that we're not worthy to do this or to do that or to do the other. Somebody's always trying to stuff you. And God's saying, nobody stuffs you. I lift you up because you are my child. And let me tell you something, child. If I'm for you, it doesn't matter what anybody else in the world is doing. Oh, man, that's, that's great news. Listen to verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You know, it's, that's crazy, but think about this. The God who loves you, the God who gave his own son for you, if he was to do that, how much more graciously does he want to give you things? You know, I, I just can't help but always when I look at that verse to think about Christmas. Because in my house, when Christmas morning came and we ran in to look at all the presents that were there, I was overwhelmed always by the number of presents. And what I learned as I got older, as all good children do, 
is I had gracious parents who loved me and they showed it to me by being gracious to me all the days of their lives. Well, if my parents cared for me like that, how much more gracious is your Heavenly Father? Look at verse 33. Who will bring any charge against, whom, who, against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And is also interceding for us. Who, man, the verse of all verses, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we face death all the day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors. I, if you've never heard this before, you need to hear it now. Many theologians have said this, but if you have never heard it, I want you to hear it now. The Greek understanding of this passage right here, knowing all these things, we are more than, the real word there would be our word super. You would insert the word knowing all these things, we are super conquerors. All you children that are in here this morning, because we're having family service today, you listen to me. God is your superhero. He makes you a super conqueror through his son, Jesus Christ. You can do all things because Jesus loves you. And that's what you need to hear this morning. Listen to this. Knowing all these things, we are super conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from that love of God. That is in Christ Jesus. You'll hear me refer to this in just a second. But <clears throat> uh, this past week, Laura and I were working on wills for our life, um, preparing for our future, which one day will be death. And if you don't have a will, you need to have a will. Listen to your pastor tell you that you don't want the government to get your money. You want somebody who deserves your money to get your money. And that's what I want for my family, and that's what I want for this church. Uh, Laura, precious Laura, we were, we were, you know, I'm the doomsday guy. I was sitting in there, and we were talking through all kinds of scenarios, and I was talking to the attorney, and I said, uh, well, what happens if we all die? Um, Laura, me, all our children, everybody dies. And he said, well, that's not very pleasant. <laughs> and I said, no, it's not. But we are actually going on vacation at the end of June. We're all going to be together. And I said, God forbid that something like that was to happen. What would you do? And he said, well, legally what would happen was if you have brothers and sisters and Laura has brothers and sisters or her mom, the money would go that way. And I went, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm just very fortunate. My brother and his wife and all their kids have done extremely well. And although they would probably love our money, they really don't need our money, and we don't have that much money to give them where it would make that big of a difference anyhow. And kind of the same is true on Laura's side of the family. And we were talking about it, and Laura looked at me, and she said, wouldn't you love that money to go to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I said, I absolutely would love that. 
So we, we've made a pact already, Laura and I have, that if we all die, now it's scary to say all these things because I don't know how many of you are going to send people out now headhunting for us. But if, if we all die, our money is going to go to spread the gospel. Uh, that, that's what I want. But there, there's the other thing that Laura thought of, too, that I had never thought of. Again, thankful for Laura in my life. But she said, Bobby, she said, here's what I'd like to write into our will, too. And I said, what's that? And she said, well, I'd like to write in that we tithe the money that God has given us to some kind of organization that would spread the gospel uh, and then give it to our kids. And I said, I'm all for that. I don't know what our kids think about that, uh, but I'm all for it. And so I'm excited about that. Now, the reason I told you that is because in verse 37, 38, and 39, when you're looking at that, what, what's happening here is what attorneys do. Attorneys write in everything to make sure that everything is covered, that there's nothing that's left uncovered. Because if you leave something uncovered, then somebody's going to step in and, and say something. In fact, the attorney told us, and if you're an attorney, you probably are very familiar with this, but the attorney told us, he said, we will write into your will that if any of your children contest what you said you wanted your will to look like, for instance, if any of them came and said, I really don't believe my parents wanted uh, to give 10% to spread the gospel around the world. I really don't believe that. You know what happens to them? They're cut out of the will. That's what the, the attorney said. That's what you need to do. You need to write in there. If any of them start arguing, that they just are automatically cut out of the will. And I said, well, I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. So he's writing, he's writing at, in there. And the reason you do that is because you know how we are as humans. Uh, if we can find a way around it, if we can find a curve or loop or a, a, a nook and cranny to crawl through, we will do that. But this is what the Lord is doing with us here in verse 38. He says, knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, and then he says, let me just cover it all for you. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor powers, anything else in all creation can separate you. He covered it all. He said, there's nothing that's going to separate you from my love for you. Now that ought to take away any doubt that you have. But Satan is still the liar, and he will still use lies in your life. So, having read all that, let me tell you three. This is not by all any means comprehensive of all the lies that Satan will tell you. But it does cover a wide swath of understanding of how Satan will try to lie to you and convince you that you're not loved by him. Listen to these three things. This is, this is what Satan will do to you, the, these kind of questions. He'll say, is God really your protector? Is God really your protector? And the lie is that Satan will tell you, hey, God's against you, and God's the reason for all your troubles. If you're struggling right now, Satan, I can promise you Satan is doing this with you right now. He's saying, well, you know what? God, God's against you right now. You, you've done something. There's something in your life, and, and God's wanting to mess with you right now. And, and he's not your protector. He doesn't care for you. But the truth is this. Look at verse 28 and 29. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the likeness of the Son, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. What, what the Lord is telling you, what Paul's telling you, and what the truth is, is when Satan tells you that God is not your protector, the truth is that God is for you, that he knows you, and that he can use any circumstances in your life, and he can turn it around for good. I love what I wrote down here, and you'll have to forgive me for loving my own writing, but it says, I wrote this down. He called you, he justified you, and he glorified you, and he will never forget you. It's important for you to understand that. You think about the tragedy that occurred in this church almost nine months ago now, and how that family, the Atkinson family, has taken that. Because what God could have done in their lives is he could have said, look, I messed with you. God was not protecting you. In fact, he could have done that to you as a church. The church could have fallen in. The church family could have fallen into the understanding that God doesn't care for this church. God's not protecting this church. God is not looking out after this church. As well as the Atkinson family saying, God's not looking out for us. God doesn't care for us. God's, God is not protecting us. And they had two roads to travel. We as a church had a road to travel. Which road would we choose? That God is for us or that Satan is in charge? And thankfully, that family in this church said, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the God that we believe. That's the God that we trust. You know, when, when, when they called me to be the youth minister at First Baptist Church 35 years ago, when, when, when I walked into that building, one of the first things that started happening to me was people came up to me and started saying to me, you don't know what it's like uh, to have a child and love a child. And so we're nervous about you taking care of our children because you don't have any children. And you know what I said to them? I said, I said, look, I said, I have worked with children all my life, almost all my life. I've been in charge of helping uh, children and youth. And when I went to college, I was a summer youth minister. And then I, I started working at a church and I worked at a, a church uh, all the days of college and all the days of seminary. I was, I was involved with youth ministry. And so I have studied it. I have learned it, I have read it, I have practiced it, and I stand here in front of you today telling you that I'm almost an expert in what it means to love youth and to care for youth. And then Joshua was born. I'm telling you here, and you listen to me, and I'm not being mean to you, and I'm not being, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm thrilled with this church. I just, I... I can't believe how many people are having babies. I, I've, I've told all my friends, I said, if you want to have a baby, come to Holly Springs. Man, this is, you come out here and drink some of the tap water, and you are, you're going to get pregnant. It's, it's an amazing deal. But you listen to me. When, when Laura and I had Joshua, you, I, if you don't have children, I can't explain that to you. But if you're a mom and a dad, you would be shaking your head at me right now because you would say, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because when you have a child, you fall in love with that child. It's a different kind of love than anybody else can explain to you. It's totally different. And I'm telling you that because I want you to know that I would do anything for my three children. And if you're a father or a mother, 
and you have any ounce of love within you, you would do the same for your children too. You would throw yourself in front of any moving car, any train, any airplane. It wouldn't matter. You would do anything. All of us would be willing to give our lives for our children if we're good parents. Well, again, multiply that times infinity and you understand how much God is your protector, how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how he will never forget you and he will never forsake you. Second thing is this. Well, the, the, the lie that is told to us, remember, in the first one is, is God my protector? And Satan tries to tell you that God's against you, but the truth is that God is for you. The second thing is this. Satan will ask you, does God really, really provide for you? Because he seems to be persecuting you. And, and here's the lie. Here's the lie that Satan envelops into your life. God's cheating me. Everyone else is doing well except for me. Everyone else is having a great time except for me. All God wants for me probably is just for me to go to hell. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because here's the truth. God has blessed you. He has blessed you beyond any comprehension in your life. And here's how he's blessed you. Listen to me. Because you may be saying, well, wait a second. I don't have very many financial resources. Or my family is struggling, or you can say all kinds of things. My job is not the greatest. My marriage is struggling a little bit. You can say all these things. But listen to me when I tell you this, that the truth is God has blessed you. And I can tell you how he's blessed you. Because if you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, then he's blessed you because he's given you the free gift of salvation. And nothing can ever top that. That's what you have. You have the incredible, unbelievable understanding that one day you will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And no matter where you stand financially or no matter where your marriage is right now or no matter where your job is or anything else, I can tell you that nothing surpasses that. Listen to verse 31 through 34. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Listen to that word. He is interceding for you. Let me share with you uh, this story. Uh, and, and you'll hear this again if you come on Wednesday night. Not this Wednesday. Hopefully you'll come every Wednesday. But the Wednesday, Laura and I share about our adoption of Ashley. And I'm, I'm not going to go into it all. But I, I want you to hear this small portion of this. Uh, if you don't know much about adoptions, uh, you go to court to, to formalize your adoption. And when you go to court to formalize your adoption, you have an, uh, the adoptive baby has, uh, or the adoptive person has an uh, uh, attorney appointed for them, and then we have an attorney. So we're getting ready to adopt Ashley, and she has her own, own attorney, and we are over here with our attorney. Ashley's 13 months old, 
and she has her own attorney. So it's kind of weird. We're sitting in the courtroom, the judge is sitting there, and it's Laura and I, and we're holding Ashley, but Ashley's attorney is sitting over there, and he's sitting at his table. And so you, you go through the formalities, and, and, and they want to uh, check off a few boxes. Uh, the attorney that was representing uh, um, Ashley was Brian Holt Davis. Uh, we had only been in town for about six or seven years. I knew a little bit about him. He was very kind to us, and, and uh, you know everybody really wanted this uh, adoption to go forward. It wasn't that big of a deal, but uh, there, there, there's some formalities that need to happen. And so uh, the judge asked uh, Mr. Davis, he said, Mr. Davis, I need you to come up here, uh, and you need to call your first witness. And he said, well, I'll call Bobby Smith to come to the stand and sit on the stand. And so I knew that was going to happen, so I walked up and, and, and I sat on the stand. And they swore, swore me in that I would tell the truth, nothing but the truth. And, and I sat down in that chair and Brian Davis said, uh, Mr. Smith, I, I'd like to ask you a question. He said, I, I want to ask you how you came uh, to adopt Ashley, how, how this process all worked. And what he was trying to get out of me was that we didn't pay somebody underhandedly or backwards or go through some secret channels to get Ashley, that it was all done above board and that it was all done legal. And the way he wanted me to, to explain that was to tell the story. And so as I was sitting on the stand, I turned to Judge. It was Judge Pierce, if any of you remember Judge Pierce. And I, I turned to Judge Pierce and I said, Judge Pierce, I said, I can't tell this story without telling how God did everything how God was in control of everything. And when you come on Wednesday night, you'll hear the story about how God miraculously brought Ashley into our lives. So I, I turned to Judge Pierce and I said, I can't tell that story without talking about God. And I did it kind of naively because I wasn't sure if, and you'll forgive me for this, but I wasn't sure whether it would be okay to talk about God in the courtroom. You know how scared we are all in public now and all that stuff. And so... Um, <laughs> I have to tell you, and, and this is the reason I'm telling you the whole story, there was about 20 prisoners that were sitting on the first two rows that were, were all waiting for us to get our adoption out of the way so they could all be sentenced to go to prison. And Judge Pierce, I don't know if, how many of you know Judge Pierce or would remember him, but Judge Pierce was uh, pretty monotone, would be a nice way to put it. He, would, he just kind of talked in the same voice all the time. And he turned to me, and this is exactly what he said. Mr. Smith, all those men and women right there, they need to hear about Jesus. You just tell them your story. I said, okay. <laughs> so I spent about 15 minutes telling the story about how we came to adopt Ashley in front of about 20 men and women who were getting ready to be sentenced. And I'm telling you that story because uh, Judge Pierce got what this is telling us in Scripture, which is we have Jesus Christ who's interceding for us. And when he's interceding for us, we should not keep that story silent. We should tell others about the Jesus that's interceding for us. And when we do that, we will begin to realize that God is for us. He is not against us. 
You, know, you remember, you, know, you should not think that worship services like this, although there are some, I, I'm, I'm sure you can go to some churches where worship services are just kind of haphazardly thrown together. But Ryan talks to me about what I'm preaching on. And then I talk to him about the scripture that I'm going to be using. And then he searches out uh, worship songs that will allow us to understand. Do you remember just a few moments ago when we sang faultless to stand before the throne? That's the kind of Jesus that loves you. That's the kind of Jesus that we serve. It's one who stands before the throne. Remember just a few minutes ago <clears throat> when I told you that we had an attorney that was representing us and then Ashley had her, her attorney? Well, I'm here to tell you that each one of you, when you go, when you die, and when you go to stand before the Lord, the scripture says that Jesus Christ will be your attorney representing you. He's going to be the one who stands before the Father and says, I know the kind of life he led. I know the kind of person he was. I know that he wasn't perfect, but Dad, I want to tell you that one day when he was just a little boy, he asked me to walk the life with him. And although he hasn't been perfect, he's walked hand in hand with me. And Dad, I forgave him of his sins years and years ago. And the Heavenly Father is going to look at you and said, because he forgave you, I forgive you. Man, what a great day that's going to be. Last thing. I'll do it quick, I promise. Satan will ask you this question. Has God deserted you? And he'll ask you that because you feel all alone. And that's the lie. I mean... The lie Satan is going to tell you is that he's abandoned you. God's abandoned you. He doesn't care about you. He could care less about you. And the truth is that God will never leave you. Because the scripture says in Romans 28, 8, 28, and 29, for who can separate you from the love of Christ? And the answer is absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You're never alone. You may feel like you're alone, but I got, I've got news for you. You're never alone. Never. Never. You are never alone. You may feel alone. You may be alone. You may be from the far, farthest corners of the earth, but you are never alone. Listen, one time when we were on a mission trip in Africa, the missionary drove us to the middle of nowhere. I'm telling you, it was the middle of nowhere. In fact, the first thing that came to my mind was if we die here, nobody will ever find us. Nobody. But you know what verse came to my mind? Romans 8, 28. Who can separate us from the love of God? Man, you are never alone. When I told you about how much you find out how much you love somebody when you have a child, uh, Laura and I were at Six Flags. Uh, we had taken the youth group up there, and we had Joshua, and he's about five or six years old. And we were taking turns holding hands and walking Joshua through Six Flags. And all of a sudden, I, I turned to Laura and said, where's Joshua? And she turned to me and said, you have him. I said, I do not have him. You have him. 
and we spent about 30 seconds or a minute arguing who had Joshua, which is what parents do when we finally stopped and realized neither one of us had Joshua. You know, I, I really discovered what it meant to be a dad that day, and here's the reason why. Ryan, you can come up. We're going to close with this. But he, here's how I discovered what it meant to be a dad that day, because I, I am the king of not wanting to be embarrassed. I don't like making a spectacle of myself anywhere doing anything. I'm just, that's not within my nature. But do you know that day at Six Flags that Laura and I did what every other parent would do? We started screaming like idiots at the top of our lungs, Joshua! And I mean, everybody in the park started turning and looking at us. And you know what? I didn't care because I wanted Joshua back with me. And we screamed and we screamed and we were running around. All the youth group started screaming his name. And all of a sudden, I turned, and in the last place that we had been, which was a little store that we'd walked in for a few seconds and then walked out of, Joshua came out that door and started walking out. And I looked, and I screamed, and I reached over, and I grabbed him, and I hugged him. And Laura saw me holding Joshua, and she came running, and she grabbed me, and we grabbed Joshua, and we were a mess. We were a mess. And you know why we were a mess? because we love Joshua with all our hearts and we didn't want anything bad to happen to him. Well, your heavenly father loves you that much, 10 times that much, a million times that much, and he does not want to see you suffer. So he wants salvation for you, but he also wants you to live an abundant life right where you are right now. Listen, Jesus Christ told us in Scripture that he came that you could have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. And that's not 10 years from now, and that's not 20 years from now, and that's not when you get to heaven, but you can start having abundant life right now, right today. Will you pray with me? Father God, you're an amazing God who loves us and cares for us so much. And Father, there are so many lies that Satan wants to tell us that he wants us to, to hear. But Father, you're screaming at the top of your voice. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you for interceding for us. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for being a Father who loves us unconditionally. And now, Father, as we enter this time of invitation, Father, may you open hearts and open minds to the will of Jesus Christ for people's lives. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.